Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. Brought to you by Pariah Pickups, custom guitar pickups handcrafted in Detroit, Rock City. I love these guys. Check them out, pariahpickups.com. All right, this week I want to talk to you about Phil Spector, who passed away on January 16, 2021, at the age of 81, due to complications related to COVID. Spector was a massively influential music producer who revolutionized the way rock music was produced in the early 1960s by developing a technique commonly known as the wall of sound. Spector described this production method as being a Wagnerian approach to rock and roll. For those of you not familiar with Richard Wagner, he was a German classical music composer who rose to prominence during the mid-1800s and for No Sleep Till Sudbury trivia buffs, Wagner was first referenced on the program all the way back in NSTS episode 35 by my guest in that episode, semiotic researcher Charles Leach. Wagner's compositions, particularly the ones later in his life, are known for their complexity in texture and orchestration. Wagner is considered by many to have significantly influenced the development of classical music, insofar as it's serving as a bridge to the beginnings of modern music. Phil Spector's trademark wall of sound consisted of multiple pianos, five or six guitars, and as many bass players and percussionists, all playing together very precisely and recorded with the intention of creating this musical tsunami, a wall of music. Spectre would use compositions written by songwriters who worked in the Brill Building in New York City, and he matched those with young, new, exciting singers. Nobody was doing anything like this at the time, and it attracted a lot of attention. Spectre had very strong opinions when it came to music and recording techniques. He hated stereo releases, and he favored mono recordings. Saying songs recorded using multiple channels took away the producer's control and gave it to the listener. In mono, single-channel recording mode, a pair of strings or horns would be double-tracked multiple times to sound like an entire string or horn section. But in that final mix, the horns could often not be distinguished from the strings, or even as horns or strings. Also, Spectre often chose to work only on singles and not entire records, saying that albums were, quote, two hits and ten pieces of junk, unquote. For all his innovative contributions to the music world, Phil Spector was ultimately a tragic figure, his accomplishments eclipsed by the toxic culture he promoted during his career, which culminated in the 2009 murder of actress Lana Clarkson. Spector's musical genius was unfortunately inseparable from the cruelty that he habitually demonstrated, particularly to the artists that he worked with, some of whom claim he pointed guns at their heads in the studio to pull enhanced performances out of them. His wife of many years, Veronica Bennett, more popularly known as singer Ronnie Spector of the Ronettes, claimed he threatened to display her dead body in a glass-top gold coffin if she ever left him. She also said he wouldn't let her wear shoes in the house for fear of her running away, even though he installed barbed wire and guard dogs around his mansion to ensure that she couldn't. If he did actually allow her out on her own, she had to drive alongside a life-sized dummy of Spectre, complete with a cigarette in its mouth. 
In their divorce settlement, she forfeited all future record earnings and surrendered custody of their children to him because she alleged Spectre threatened to hire a hitman to kill her if she didn't. This type of behavior went unchecked for some time because it was silently validated in the industry by the majesty of Spectre's musical achievements. Now, this is the core of my intrigue as it relates to Phil Spectre, that his legacy is founded on this very dark idea. The idea that his monumental success in creating iconic hits like Be My Baby by the Ronettes somehow made his wild sociopathic behavior allowable to many as a symptom of his musical genius. Harvey Phillips Spector was born on the day after Christmas in 1939 in the Bronx borough of New York City to first-generation Jewish immigrants Benjamin and Bertha Spector. Benjamin's father came to America from the Ukraine in 1913, and he anglicized his name to George Spector a few years later on his naturalization papers. Bertha's father had also anglicized his name to George Spector when completing his naturalization papers. The papers of both men were witnessed by the same person, someone named Isidore Spector. The similarity in background and name of the grandfathers would later become a concern to Phil Spector, that his parents may in fact have been first cousins. Spector's father took his own life when he was just 10 years old. His gravestone read, Ben Spector, father and husband. To know him was to love him. Spector's mother moved the family to Los Angeles four years later and worked as a seamstress. In 1954, Spector attended Fairfax High School just outside West Hollywood, the same high school that Warren Zevon, Demi Moore, and Slash from Guns N' Roses would attend years later. While he attended Fairfax High, Spector learned to play guitar, and he befriended a number of like-minded aspiring musicians, including future producer and music executive Lou Adler, and also session drummer Sandy Nelson, who played on Spectre's very first record release in 1958 under the name The Teddy Bears. That release would go to number one on the newly created Billboard Hot 100, and it sold over one million copies. It was called To Know Him Is To Love Him. Now, a lot of things happened very quickly for Spectre during this period. He was being mentored in record production by producer and studio owner Stan Ross. Spectre also met promoter Lester Sill around this time, who set Spectre up with famed songwriting pair Lieber and Stoller in New York. As a result, Spectre co-wrote top 10 hit Spanish Harlem with them, and he was also getting a lot of session work as a guitarist, playing the solo on the Drifter song on Broadway. Remember that tune? Spectre worked with Lester Sill to form their own record company, which they called Phil Less Records, which was a hybrid of their given names. After two years, Spectre would buy out Sill's stock in the company and take it over completely, becoming the youngest ever record executive in 1962 at the age of 21. It was during this time that he discovered singer Darlene Wright, who he would later rename Darlene Love after her group The Blossoms were used by Spectre as a last-minute replacement in a session that he had originally scheduled for his own all-girl group, The Crystals. The result was number one hit He's a Rebel, which Spectre would fully credit to The Crystals, despite Love's lead vocal. The song He's a Rebel 
was due to be released on rival record label Liberty Records by a singer named Vicky Carr. But Spectre rushed a cover version, Using Love, so that the single could be released on his Phil Less record label first and attributed to his group The Crystals, and it quickly rose to the top of the charts. Around this time, Spectre was gaining a reputation for his volatility and shrewd decision-making. He gave Love the lead vocal on a new song called Da Do Run Run, only to erase her tracks and have another singer come in and record new vocals at the very last minute. Spectre did elect to use Love as a backing singer on Ronette's mega-hit Be My Baby, and while it was Spectre's intention that the vocal for Christmas song Baby Please Come Home be sung by Ronnie Spectre of the Ronettes, Phil Spector chose to bring Love into the studio to re-record the lead vocal, which of course would become one of Darlene Love's signature performances. Spector signed one final group to his Phil Less label in 1966 before it disbanded, and that was the husband and wife duo of Ike and Tina Turner. Spector thought very highly of his work in producing their River Deep Mountain High single, the best work he'd done to this point in his opinion, but it stalled on the charts, barely entering the top 100 in the U.S. Decades later, Spectre gave a eulogy at Ike Turner's funeral, where he openly attacked Tina Turner's autobiography, calling it a badly written book that vilified Ike. He also said that Ike was responsible for any success that Tina had, and that any one of the backup singers that Ike performed with could have been a Tina Turner. After a failed bid to merge Phil Less Records with A&M Records in 1967, Spectre folded the label, and his enthusiasm began to wane somewhat. He married Ronnie Spectre and went into seclusion the following year, emerging only for a handful of TV and movie cameos. A drug dealer in the film Easy Rider, and in Season 3, Episode 6 of I Dream of Genie, entitled Genie the Hip Hippie, Spectre makes a cameo appearance as himself. In the episode, Jeannie decides that she wants to be a pop star and enlists Spectre to help her. Now, here's the funny thing. Though Spectre is referred to by all the characters throughout the episode as Phil Spectre, the credit roll at the end of the episode does not. It bills Phil Spectre as Steve Davis. In early 1970, new Beatles manager Alan Klein flew Spectre over to England at the request of Beatles John and George in the hopes that Spectre could salvage the abandoned Let It Be recording sessions. He applied his production methods to the Beatles material and made considerable arrangement changes in some of the songs, adding orchestral overdubs to The Long and Winding Road, Across the Universe, and I, Me, Mine at Abbey Road Studios. Spectre added eight violins, four violas, four cellos, three trumpets, three trombones, two guitars, and a choir of 14 women, a total of 38 musicians altogether, to McCartney's The Long and Winding Road. McCartney had already left the Beatles in his mind, and he was busy recording a solo record, not really paying attention to what was transpiring within the band. The Let It Be sessions with Spectre weren't without the drama that he had come to be known for. According to session engineer Peter Bowne, Spectre's behavior was highly unusual and disruptive. He had to take a different pill every half hour, apparently, and had to have his bodyguard with him constantly. 
Several musicians in the orchestra became so annoyed with Spectre's behavior that they refused to play at one point, and Ringo Starr, who was the only Beatle present for the session, had to persuade Spectre to calm down after Bound became infuriated and left the studio. Although initially supporting the changes Spectre made to Let It Be for the sake of accommodating the band, the more Paul McCartney listened to The Long and Winding Road over and over again, the more angered he became at Spectre's revisions. As the Let It Be vinyl was actually being manufactured, McCartney demanded that several of the orchestral elements in the choir be removed from The Long and Winding Road in a prickly letter to Alan Klein, which apparently ended with the words, Don't ever do it again. Klein tried to call McCartney, but McCartney changed his number and didn't provide anyone at Apple with the new one. Instead, Klein sent a telegram to McCartney requesting a conversation, but received a response that said the letter spoke for itself. So, Klein made no changes to the record, and it came out featuring Spectre's work. And Maka was livid. He requested that the Beatles' partnership be dissolved immediately, and eventually he had to go to the High Court in London, 1971, and list Klein and the other Beatles as defendants in his case. McCartney's suit claimed that Klein and his management company had caused intolerable interference by revising the long and winding road without his consent. Ringo Starr, of all people, actually stepped forward and challenged this claim by stating that he and McCartney spoke over the phone and Paul supported the changes to the song. Spectre said later that he had asked if any of the Beatles wanted to be involved in the production of Let It Be, and that the answer was no. He also later blamed Lennon's poor bass playing on the long and winding road, Paul was playing piano at the time, for having to add orchestration to the song. Spectre would later criticize McCartney as a hypocrite, saying McCartney didn't have a problem receiving the Academy Award for the record soundtrack. However, the Academy Award was actually received by Quincy Jones, who stated publicly that McCartney refused to attend the ceremony. The epilogue to the story comes in the form of a newly released version of Let It Be in 2003, after McCartney persuaded Ringo Starr and Yoko Ono to release what was called Let It Be Naked, which included an alternate take of the long and winding road that had been recorded during the original sessions without strings or additional instrumentation, which had been McCartney's intent all along. Previously, Paul McCartney had recorded The Long and Winding Road in the early 80s with a lead saxophone, and that was produced by original Beatles producer George Martin. Lennon and Harrison worked exclusively with Spectre in the years following the release of the Let It Be record, Spectre producing Lennon's 1971 Power to the People single and his number one record, Imagine. Spectre also produced the 1971 Christmas single, Happy Christmas, War is Over. And Spectre worked alongside Harrison on All Things Must Pass, but the work was hindered by Spectre's erratic behavior. Harrison worked with Spectre on his Living in the Material World record in 1972, but Spectre's volatility forced Harrison to eventually fire him. Harrison later told the stories of having to climb into Spectre's hotel room window from the roof to talk him into coming to the studio, and then needing to coax him with 18 cherry brandies to actually get him to do some work. 
The following year, Lennon granted Spector free reign as producer of the sessions of what would eventually be his 1975 album, Rock and Roll, in Los Angeles. Of course, chaos ensued, with Spector firing off one of his guns inside the studio while Lennon was recording. By December, Lennon parted ways with Spector, but Spector withheld the session tapes from Lennon until he was financially reimbursed. And unfortunately, it continued to go downhill from there. Spectre became more reclusive after being seriously injured in Hollywood when he was ejected from his car through the windshield in a crash in 1974. He was nearly killed, sustaining head injuries that required hours of surgery and resulted in more than 700 stitches in his face and head. It was believed that this was the reason that Spectre began his habit of wearing those ridiculous wigs following the accident. In 1979, Spectre produced the Ramones' End of the Century record, and their hardcore fans were not pleased with the more radio-friendly approach of songs like Rock and Roll High School. There was talk following the album's release that Spectre used his guns to intimidate the Ramones during the recording sessions, with Dee Dee Ramone telling reporters that Spectre put a gun to his head when he tried to leave a session. Drummer Marky Ramone confirmed the presence of guns in the studio, but said in 2008 that no one was ever held hostage and that the guns were licensed. On February 3, 2003, Spectre shot Lana Clarkson in the mouth at his home in Alhambra, California. Clarkson, an actress born in Long Beach, California, who had appeared in Scarface and as science teacher Mr. Vargas's wife in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, was found dead inside Spectre's mansion. Clarkson had met Spectre that evening while working as a hostess at the House of Blues in Los Angeles. They left the venue together in Spectre's limousine and drove to his mansion. The limo driver, Adriano D'Souza, waited outside as Spectre and Clarkson went inside, and approximately an hour later, D'Souza heard a gunshot. A few moments after that, Spectre walked out the back door holding a gun. The recorded 911 call made by D'Souza from Spectre's home details Spectre as saying, I think I've killed somebody. D'Souza added on the call that he watched Spectre exit the back door of the mansion with the gun in his hand. Clarkson's body was found slumped in a chair with a single gunshot wound to her mouth. In 2003, Spectre would tell Esquire magazine that Clarkson's death was an accidental suicide resulting from her kissing the gun. Spectre's second-degree murder trial began on March 19, 2007, and it was declared a mistrial in September because of a hung jury. His retrial began a year later, on October 20, 2008, and a jury found him guilty on April 13, 2009. The following month, Spectre was sentenced to 19 years to life in the California state prison system eligible for parole in 2024. Spectre had been thought to suffer from bipolar disorder previously, but following his sentencing, people really began speculating about Spectre's deteriorating physical health. Some wondered if he had Parkinson's due to the tremoring he began to exhibit. And it was reported in 2014 that he had glottal papillomatosis, which caused him to lose his ability to speak 
Upon his death, the public's response was ambivalent. Was he a musical genius who committed murder, or a murderer who happened to be a musical genius? Arguments for both sides competed on social media, but posts by two musical artists offered nuanced perspectives. Canadian Andy Kim tweeted, quote, Phil Spector was a genuine genius. His sound changed my world and begged me to dream of a life that would have never existed for me, unquote. He then made light of Spectre's dark side by including a Shakespearean quote. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is oft interred with their bones. And legendary Springsteen guitarist Stephen Van Zant said Spectre was, quote, a genius irredeemably conflicted. He was the ultimate example of the art always being better than the artist. Having made some of the greatest records in history based on the salvation of love, while remaining incapable of giving or receiving love his whole life. Unquote. Perfect. This has been No Sleep Till Subray with Brent Jensen. Till next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Subway, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.